have Doom Patrol, the DC Universe slash HBO Max TV show, and we'll be talking about Doom Patrol Volume 2 by Grant Morrison. And of course, my guest is EJ Fettis, returning guest, host of uh, Fed Talks. Hi, thank you for having me. Thank, uh, thank you for being here. So this was your suggestion, and you're a big, big Doom Patrol guy going way back. I think I actually first heard about uh, heard about the Doom Patrol comics from you uh, years ago. Um, do you want to? That's likely. <laughs> Um, I know, I know you have a whole history with it. Was this, uh, run the fir- your first experience with Doom Patrol or had you read the previous comics with them? Well, it was, it was my first, I guess, full fledged experience. Um, just to, to, I mean, I, I'm not going to get too, too, uh, uh, granular right now unless the people cry out for it but the the original series which I, I guess is best known for being the the other book about a uh, team of misfit superheroes led by a man in a wheelchair that launched in spring of 1962 <laughs> um, it actually came out like three months before the X-Men <laughs> and was significantly less successful um, and that's a, a series that it ran for a few years, and uh, it ended with the Doom Patrol dying. Mm-hmm. Um, um, were and... the... Oh, sorry. I was just gonna, wondering, were those characters in that original version the same characters were the original Doom Patrol in the show? Uh, you mean the the original, like the... Fla- the... Yeah, when they talk <laughs> the about ones... there being an, an old Doom Patrol. Oh, no, those were... They came later. The original was actually uh, Larry, Rita, Cliff, and the Chief. Oh, okay. So, like, the original in terms of what actually appears on the show. <laughs> um, and uh, the the thing where they 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 die to save seventeen people was made into an episode of Batman: The Brave and the Bold, <laughs> uh, which ends the same. And it was this crazy thing where, like, the last page was actually the editor and the artist of the issue appearing on panel to say, hey, it looks bad for the Doom Patrol, but they could come back if we get enough letters. <laughs> and they didn't get enough letters, and they stayed dead for, like, 15 years. And even then, it was only only Cliff who came back. But uh, in my, my grandparents' house were, like, my uncle's old comics where there were a couple of Doom Patrol issues. And that was kind of my first experience and I had no context for them because those characters were not appearing anywhere when I was a kid (laughs) and they were, they were weird. Like it was a weird book. Um, not weird in, in even the modern sense, just like a, a, a strange person who maybe doesn't understand that children are reading this are (laughs) making this book in the sixties. And it got in my head, and I never understood it. And then uh, when uh, the it was rebooted in the, uh, the, the late 80s, and a lot of them were the ones, the original Doom Patrol from the show. Hmm. And then Grant Morrison comes along, fresh off of, or still writing Animal Man at the time, this... Uh, 
this this young writer from Scotland who takes over a failing book and decides to make it real experimental and change all the characters and mm-hmm. that happened I came in a little late on that like it was their 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 run was just kind of wrapping up when I caught on to it but I I snapped it all up right then and yeah that was the beginning of my obsession with the Doom Patrol yeah I, uh you mentioned this is uh well, I mean, uh, before we started recording, you mentioned that uh, what I read starts with, like, issue 19, which you can kind of tell, even though it is published as Doom Patrol Volume 1 by Grant Morrison. So right. a lot of people are, like, buying this as the first book, like, reading it. I was like, there's clearly so much going on in the DC universe that I was not at all prepared for. <laughs> Right, like, like a line-wide crossover is used as the excuse to reboot it, and there's, there's all these references to characters you will never see, or, uh, yeah, just re- to referring to these people who used to be on the team, and it was all because of some yellow aliens, and, and it was just kind of a pretext. But yeah, the the first, the first couple of issues very much are, yeah, this is part of the DC universe, and uh, uh probably you need to have read some other books that did not age well at all (laughs) so yeah i imagine it was maybe a little off-putting at first to clearly come in after something had happened (laughs) um so then uh i'm assuming you watched the the tv show as soon as uh as soon as it was released on dc universe the the wonderful app i I probably, I, this seems like something you, you would have known, but I maybe should have mentioned it, was uh, it actually began as sort of a backdoor pilot in the first season of Titans. Oh, okay. And I subscribed to DC Universe to get that episode of Titans. <laughs> and and uh, if that had been pertinent, I would have, would have brought it up earlier, but it's clearly not set in the same universe uh, the characters are kind of there, but not quite. And the chief is a different guy who can walk. <laughs> and also Beast Boy was a member of the, it was with the team, which was true in the 60s comics, but doesn't make any sense given the TV show. <laughs> but it was still, I was just so delighted to see my guys on TV. And then uh, I just kept subscribing because I knew the show was coming. But yeah, I initially subscribed for one episode in the middle of a show I did not care for. <laughs> yeah, I was also subscribed to DC Universe uh, and just used it to watch like older cartoons um, that were not right. finally available. <laughs> um, and I... In a super on-brand move, I actually did, when it first came out, watch just the episodes that had um, Larry's Lover in them. So I had, <laughs> I had watched it in that form. I, I would have bet money on that being, <laughs> the, being your experience. Um, and, and I know you probably have a structure to this. Can I can I bring something up that's maybe not super clear from the the comics? Yeah, is the TV show is the first time that Larry is gay. Oh, interesting. Okay. 
Yeah, cause in I mean, the. He... Sorry, did you have more? No, no, you were you were getting to what I was going to say anyway. Oh yeah, I'll say it better. In the the comic, it's an interesting situation where uh, Larry Trainer is like literally fused with a woman, presumably a straight woman. Um, so it gets it gets into some stuff, but it's very like. Like, I feel like looking at it now, you're kind of like, eh, I think we're kind of done with non-binary characters where it's like a sci-fi situation where they are just literally, like, you know, like actually a man and a woman. Yeah, yeah, that that is, uh, but, you know, we're, we're, we're talking 19, 1990 here, and uh, that probably was the first non-binary DC character. yeah. And it, yeah, it's definitely interesting. Yeah, I mean, it definitely rereading it now. It it read much more awkwardly than it did, you know, thirty years ago when it seemed kind of revolutionary. Right. Yeah. It's yeah. I mean, it's awkward, and then at the same time, it is um, a more interesting thing, I would say, than in the TV show where it's. Um, the TV show is sort of like the most common type of uh, queer representation, I guess you would say, where it's, you know, you know, he's a gay character and he's struggling with uh, with if he should come out and the double life, um, which obviously is like also fine. But it's, it's just interesting that I think the uh, the comics and the TV show are so different in that way that where the comic is like something that's like, oh, this is iffy, but it is interesting. And then the show is like real super like, Boiler, boilerplate. For, for a second, I literally thought when you said the most common type of queer representation, I thought it was a trope that 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 queer people had energy beings living inside <laughs> them. Uh, that that would be great. <laughs> I do think something super interesting about Doom Patrol is that you're watching it and you're like, this is really this feels like a universe where like men can't fuck like men do not have bodies <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's it's the the fact that that larry has uh uh is attracted to anybody is uh you, you know because larry was until he came back as an energy being to merge with a woman uh, he died back in the 60s and honestly did not have any personality. <laughs> so, uh, you know, anything they do with him is like, hey, they've, they, had a, they had a blank slate with Larry. <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of got that vibe. That has like the, I, I really like him. Um, like, I, I mean, I'm a Matt Bomer fan and I think it's cool to have someone to, uh, just stand around and be like, well, I'm also here. Um, but like, you can sort of tell they're going off like a very standard um, comic book character thing. Cause like whenever they try to describe his deal, it's like, oh yeah, you're just this classic alpha male. Yeah, he. I mean, he his his job was literally test pilot, which about thirty percent of DC heroes in the sixties right, yeah. did. <laughs> like test pilots were so common then. 
I legitimately wonder if anybody ever teamed up Larry with Hal Jordan just on that basis. <laughs> yeah, they're alpha male test pilots. Fun. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, there, there's a lot of, and and Rita is not in what you read at right, all. Right. Yeah. She stayed gone until a couple of continuity reboots. I think 2006, maybe. Um, uh, there was a bad series earlier that brought her back, but that's that's the one Doom Patrol that I advise people to avoid. <laughs> uh, volume four, I think. But uh, so everything about her is uh, is pretty much created whole cloth for the the show because her original deal was. Uh, you know, yeah, she was a a golden age of Hollywood starlet, but uh, she didn't even make that much sense in in the context of the team because her powers were good and useful. Mm. <laughs> like, th- there was this idea that she couldn't control them, but it wasn't a, like, flesh-melting-off thing. Like, sometimes her hand would just get big without warning. Mm-hmm. And they, uh, as the show's gone on, they've sort of have, she's been able to use her powers for like stretching and getting big and actually being a, um, that, that's not in the first season, which, which is what we watched for this. But they, they did so much with her, with a character who is the, 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 the blankest of slates. <laughs> and uh, it really goes some, like, there, there's... I'm I'm all over the place, and I apologize. Uh, I I usually rely on you to to keep this kind of focused, but <laughs> there's this great uh, like originally in the '60s when bad things didn't happen in DC Comics unless you were Thomas and Martha Wayne, <laughs> they still had this th- this tragedy to them, and I think think the show updates them and kind of builds on it in in interesting ways. Uh, like everybody's origin is more, more elaborate and interesting, and uh, they they, I don't know. I'm 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 such a big Doom Patrol fan. I I should probably shut up because you probably have points to address. Um, no, yeah, I agree. I think the show does uh does a great job with the characters, and you can, um. Like I said a little with Larry, I feel like you can tell that they were probably based on, at some point, one-dimensional characters. Like, you right. are immediately like, oh, yeah, Rita is a star and she's Bane. Great. Um, but I think that actually, like, helps with the show to, like, get everyone's deal really quickly. <laughs> uh, so you have, like, a basic idea of who's who. And then, uh, and then yeah, I think they expand on it really well. Yeah, because they... they even with all the superhero stuff now, so much of it, especially DC stuff, has a shorthand because people are vaguely aware of the existence of those characters. And, and like, so many of the, the older characters you can really get in one line by just saying what their deal is. <laughs> yeah, the Flash. You, you get the Flash. You don't need to... Uh, you don't need to hit the ground running, so to speak, with him. You, you got the deal. Mm-hmm. He's the Flash. Mm-hmm. Whereas these people, you are, you as a TV viewer and most likely as a comic reader are uh, largely unfamiliar with. Mm-hmm. 
Um, oh, I guess uh, the... Can I mention the two significant characters who were not part of the original Doom Patrol uh, oh, yeah. on the show that I think... Uh, one is, is Jane, who the, the comics referred to pretty consistently as Crazy Jane mm-hmm. uh, because she has 64 personalities, each of which has its own power. And I think possibly wisely in 2022 they they have dropped the pejorative from her name. <laughs> yeah um and she was created by grant morrison for the series and a lot of her characterization comes from that and a lot of uh i don't know if you noticed reading it like every personality that gets referenced in the book is there's a there's a connection on the show like they just mm casually will mention a name like Driller Bill and yeah we saw Driller Bill <laughs> and, and the other one weirdly is is Cyborg um, known as either a Teen Titan or a Justice League member mm-hmm. who has never had any connection to the Doom Patrol <laughs> ever um, it, yeah that is something that's super jarring about it watching it is because like very quickly it starts to be like a cyborg show like it feels like he's like the main character and you're like that's that's not what I signed on for at all <laughs> it it was so weird and I was I was it bothered me at first but this is also now the first time I've ever liked cyborg <laughs> I and think I, that... I think I oh no, go, oh, please. sorry, I was just going to say, I'm pretty sure there's a Teen Titans Go episode where Cyborg gets upset that no one understands uh, no one understands him because he's a cyborg, and so he goes off and befriends Robot Man and is with the Doom Patrol for a while. Which, <laughs> like, almost like hearing that he never had a connection to Doom Patrol before, I'm like, did that episode know that they were going to, like, try to do this? And were, they were trying to, like implanting kids like oh no cyborgs always been friends with the doom patrol <laughs> oh they there's even a when his his uh his onboard computer uh re- informs him that he says booyah often enough for it mm-hmm. to be his catchphrase that's straight from teen titans go <laughs> <laughs> um, but i i realized watching it the reason i never i never got cyborg uh, partly because uh, when I was a kid, New Teen Titans cost 25 cents more than all the other comics. So that <laughs> was a no-go at my house. But DC characters, with the exception of the Doom Patrol, uh, their powers don't come at any kind of, of cost. Like Batman aside or the destruct- destruction of Krypton, there's not tragedy in their origins. Mm. That's That's a Marvel thing, is... Uh, you know, you have this power that's killing you or it's ruining your life in some way or because you have this, you also have to suffer from this. And the the Teen Titans at the time were very consciously uh, a guy who used to write for Marvel trying to do a Marvel-style book. Mm. And so those characters never feel like they fit into DC for me. And I'm like, yeah, but that's the Doom Patrol's deal is they were, their, their Marvel characters... Uh, who would not have been accepted at Marvel because they made them the X-Men. <laughs> and, and Cyborg fits there for me because he's a he's a science freak. 
and and I know he I, I'm kind of vibing with him here in a way I wasn't uh, even though he does take screen time from Cliff Steele my my favorite DC character who isn't Batman <laughs> yeah I do really like the interpretation of this uh, the interpretation of Cyborg in this and I like that it feels like this very sort of mundane almost annoying thing where like wanting to get into the Justice League eventually is like wanting to go to Harvard Law and it's just like kind of a boring <laughs> life. <laughs> you had to take all these electives. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's also just a nice uh it sets up the the idea that the other superheroes you're familiar with exist in this world and are probably handling the normal stuff. Mhm. So it, it takes the pressure off the Doom Patrol to do anything besides, you know, deal with the cult of the unwritten book or sometimes be just so sad that they can't leave the house for 30 years. Right, yeah. I Yeah, I do uh, really love that about them. Larry and Rita especially, just how much it's like, oh, should we do that or should we just lie on this cheslong for a while? <laughs> <laughs> They, they are are fantastically inactive as characters at the beginning. Yeah, and I really, uh, I think it's interesting to have all these people that are such losers that like a 19-year-old who will eventually be in Justice League is like their leader now. Like, that's an interesting <laughs> uh, like crossing of paths. Like uh, a superhero who's way on the way up and then all these superheroes who are extremely on the way down crossing in this one moment. <laughs> and they're, they're all... That, that's one thing about the show that gets sort of built on in, in season four, actually, is they're all very old. Right, yeah. That, yeah, I think that is something that is so interesting about it is all these people from, like, different eras... Like, they all kind of, except for Crazy Jane, most of them read as around, like, 40, but they're actually from, like, right. vastly different times. And, yeah, like, there's some moments where you really notice it. Like, I love when um, when Jane points out that, like, Cliff's daughter being alive is very easy to look up information. And you're like, oh, yeah, no one else in the house would think of that besides Jane. <laughs> There's that bit when Mr. Nobody is taunting them and he says something about, oh, there's Larry. He made a great strides. He finally came out of the closet at the tender age of 90. <laughs> it's like, yeah. These, or, or when the chief gets into his backstory and it's like, well, it started in the 1800s. <laughs> it, it, it gets weirder because the... Uh, and uh, I, I guess we could, th this will be a spoiler for the end of season one. Uh, so you no doubt know then who the, you, did you read the book or watch the show first? Um, other than, like I said, skipping all the episodes to Larry's relationship, I read the book then and then watched the whole first season. Okay, so by the end of the first season, you probably were like, oh, that's going to be Dorothy Spinner. Mm-hmm who is not the chief's daughter in the comics. Um, but uh, what, you, what you find out in season two is 
despite being a 10-year-old girl, she also is much older and <laughs> has just stayed 10. That, that sort of becomes a story point in, in the fourth season. They, they do address that, and it's, uh, yeah, even Mr. Nobody is, is extremely old as well. That's <laughs> it. It's a very weird thing, and they had a couple of of enemies in the '60s who their whole deal was they were immortal, and I think that was sort of the like when you have two different villains who don't age, and you only have six villains in total. <laughs> um, yeah, it seems I... like maybe that's a theme. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think that it works really well, and I like I just love the idea of like sitting in the house for like decades and decades it really captures sort of the more not that the show is boring but it captures uh in real life the like boring aspects of trauma where it's like oh yeah i'm just gonna lie back in bed and then like 40 years go by (laughs) yes it's i mean it came out the year before we all just didn't leave the house (laughs) which seems crazily prescient but uh there's yeah, and um, yeah, like they, it, it is really striking when like like Jane suggests they leave the house and they're like, whoa, I don't know. And you're like, you're like 90 and had like a wife and kids. Like, how did you end up like this? You, you know how to go to a store. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and also the, the fact that they set it in a... a in a, a DC universe world where these, so like a, a talking robot is not the craziest thing people have seen. Mm-hmm. Like when they go to that, they, they do leave the house and go to that town. People aren't running around screaming because there <laughs> right. is a robot. They're like, well, no, Superman exists. Yeah. There's, we've almost definitely been attacked by gorillas at some point. This is, this is within the realm of, of, of acceptability. Yeah, I really like that because I feel like sort of most superhero things now have the kind of um, the same kind of thing Doom Patrol is going for with being like, oh, this guy's actually a loser. This guy's actually kind of like, like he's not your traditional hero. And I'm like, yeah, fucking, I know. It's been so long since we just had, like, su- Superman being cool or whatever. I know that they're going to be losers now. Um, but then, like, right. the more you watch Doom Patrol, you're like, oh, no, like, these are losers. Like he, like you said, he can't go to a store. You're like, oh, yeah, he's, he's not well. There, there, there's a bit near the end of the season when Cliff is actually trying to rally them to do something, and his inspirational speech is like, yeah, our win-loss record is for shit. We're not making the playoffs. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, they, they're, they're kind of bad at this. Yeah, it, yeah, it is fun because I feel like so many things like say that, you know, like they're like, oh, dead shots actually a loser. Like Harley Quinn's not doing great. And you're like, I don't know. I've, I've seen them save people several times at this point. <laughs> Even the X-Men, I mean, now they all look like catalog models. Mm-hmm. And they're still feared and hated by the world. No, they're not. They're the hottest people ever. <laughs> and, and, like, even at the time when you're when Doom Patrol and X-Men were starting, 
were coexisting. Like, okay, one of the guys had wings that he could tuck under a shirt, and one of them had big feet. <laughs> uh, this was a robot in a, a, a human brain in a robot body that often doesn't work, and a guy who... Uh, like, like in in the comics, when Larry would let the negative spirit out, it had 60 seconds to come back or he dies. <laughs> so what he does during any fight is fall over. <laughs> you, you can see why Grant Morrison, who already had a reputation for rehabilitating sort of misbegotten old characters, was like, yeah, this is, these are my people. <laughs> um, did you want to... Uh, I think we've mostly talked about the show. What did you think of the of the comics? Because you've, uh, I learned from the your Watchmen episode that you're a real wild card with comics. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was a little. It was definitely sort of disorienting, um, partially because of what we talked about of just like uh, it being a weird place to come in on, and there not being a lot of information, and then also I think like the. Um, some of the like more abstract stuff was like hard to follow, which I think like happens in the show a little bit as well, but not to the same extent where mm -hmm. it's like, you know, they're fighting things that are so abstract that you get to a point where you're like, oh, I, I guess that worked. And I guess like that solved the problem. <laughs> um, but I did, uh, yeah, overall um, enjoy it. I mean, there's, there's great, I mean, there's, a lot of that stuff the the first book that we read a lot of it translated kind of directly to the first season of the show hmm. um you know the the cult of the unwritten book and uh mr nobody with the painting and um you know there's the the thing about the the show and i'll, I'll get back to the comic in a second maybe who knows you're in charge mm -hmm. Um, is especially after season one, they start pulling from every era of the Doom Patrol and sort of finding a way to make it uh, fit it all into the same world. Mm -hmm. Like, they still do it a little here, like uh, uh, the animal vegetable mineral man, as they as they call him, the guy who gets accidentally, accidentally has a Tyrannosaurus growing out of his <laughs> shoulder. He was the main villain in the 60s. Oh, okay. And really has not appeared since then, except that episode of Brave and the Bold. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, then, then they they kind of recontextualize a lot of uh, of the Silver Age characters like that. Like they, so many Doom Patrol side characters then were just nothing characters. There's this guy named Gargwax who's a green alien who wants to conquer the world. <laughs> and the only interesting thing about him is that he's kind of fat. Like, that's the only thing that separates him from every other alien conqueror at the time. <laughs> and the show in season three devotes an entire episode to him. And he's a guy who's just been waiting on, on Earth to do his thing. He has a specific task, and it might take decades. And he ends up kind of, he joins a country club, and he kind of gets into <laughs> to Earth life. And he's got this this robot manservant who is increasingly frustrated with his inability to stay on task. And it's like that in in 30 minutes made this character more interesting than he's been in 55 <laughs> years. And, uh, you know, there there have been a lot of incarnations and they 
they they brought in characters from the most recent series, which was written by uh, Gerard Way of My Chemical Romance, mm-hmm. and which is why on on a recent episode uh, they played My Chemical Romance on the soundtrack, and I was all excited because I'm like, I get that. <laughs> yeah, that's fun. But it, it's it's pulling from from sixty years of history and. Uh, these very disparate takes and putting them all kind of in a room together and going, well, let's see how this works in a world where, where Mr. Nobody exists or, or Danny <laughs> right. the Street. Who, since he wasn't in the book, I'm they they weren't in the book. I, I screwed up. Uh, okay. Danny is a is a sentient teleporting uh, genderqueer street who in the in the comics uh in, in all fairness did use uh he him pronouns and was described mm-hmm. as and i if to use the language of the book which i it, he was specifically described as being a transvestite <laughs> but that was by a villain so i don't so but in in 2022 danny is uh is genderqueer uh much much like grant morrison uh so I am that that's been a fairly recent announcement and I'm terrified of saying the wrong thing. And I already <laughs> felt bad when I, when I did it for a street, but there is this, there is this, this street, Danny, the street that it, they, they teleport and people live on them and they're, they're happy. They, they have, have this oasis and, uh, um, this is maybe not, Given that this was not in the book that you read, but I guess Danny is in the show, so it's still okay. Mm-hmm. Um, in because I was reading this big time in college, and man, we've known each. I don't know if you know this about me. We've known each other a while. I was a, a shitty little Republican kid in high school, <laughs> uh, partly because I was really unpopular and this was the early nineties when it was the age of MTV liberalism. Mm -hmm. And that was the cool thing. So of course I wasn't going to do the cool thing because the cool kids wouldn't have me. So I was like, just a terrible little Republican kid. (laughs) And and if you're going to do that, you might as well get it out of your system before you can legally vote. (laughs) But, uh, the two things that changed me, uh, like changed my outlook were two different DC comics <laughs> that I read in college were this Grant Morrison's Doom Patrol and The Question hmm. the The Question was sort of about, about uh, uh, poverty and the collapse of the American city as a concept and I still remember the thing that really got me in Doom Patrol the first time it's like oh I'm probably just wrong about everything <laughs> was a uh, when it introduced Danny, and it was it was very similar to to what's on the show, where this agency is basically just trying to destroy them because they are weird and don't fit into this paradigm. Uh, on the show, it's the Bureau of or the Bureau of Normalcy, and the the comics was the Men from Nowhere. Uh, and I remember just being a, you know, nineteen and reading, going, "God damn it! Just leave Danny alone! Just let him be!" <laughs> Yeah. My God, he's not hurting anybody. He's making people happy. <laughs> and that was, it, it sounds dumb, but that was such an awakening moment for me in terms of my own, my personal political development because of a street. 
And so when um, I'm just curious about the street that's described as a transvestite in the book. Like, what was the visual? What what were the visuals like for that? Well, the 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 specific reason uh, they were described as a transvestite was all of the businesses that were. Uh, it it was very much like the show, but there were a lot of uh, like like sporting goods stores and gun shops and army navy surplus, and all of those were decorated with like with like flowers and <laughs> were the most sort of flamboyant appearing. Mm-hmm. And it's a it's a U.S. Army general who explains this, and that's where the the transvestite phrase comes in, because he, he's got all these good God fearing American businesses. And they're they're all they're all decked out in pastels and flowers. It's a goddamn transvestite. <laughs> yeah, that's fun. Um, yeah, that's a really and, good episode of the show. Um, and I think it does it does this thing that I think is always a little bit tough in in uh, sci-fi, where it's like a metaphor for queerness, but then also just like literal queerness. Um, <laughs> and I. I think they do a really good job, um, especially because, like, it's so obvious that the Bureau of Normalcy is, like, bad and is just, like, mad at anyone who doesn't conform, which is just such a huge contrast from, like, I think so many, so much of the time when they try to do these, like, metaphors, it's, like, stuff like X-Men where you're like, hey, wait, if they can, like, bring planes down with their minds, I mean... That is kind of a concern to me. <laughs> we, we should keep tabs on that. <laughs> I, I don't want to be racist against mutants, but if they can reverse the Earth's magnetic poles, I'm a little nervous. Right. I also, I love the sequence when um, Larry goes up to, to join in the big uh, queer dance number. And like, even... Uh, even before the reveal that it's in his mind, um, I was like, wow, he's just like not good at this. He's not, he does not have the charisma <laughs> to be a queer icon. And I found that, that really charming, that he's just like this incredibly handsome gay guy who also just does not know what he's doing when he has to put on a little show. Even his idealized fantasy version of himself. Yeah, which like I definitely relate to being like, I'm trying to imagine myself doing a cool dance performance and it's not happening. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, poor poor Larry. (laughs) He's just the saddest. I I just love that character that he's like this unbelievably handsome guy who is good at everything and like still just like it seems like he's just kind of a dud. (laughs) And I I mean, I think there's a really a nice, very like real thing there. Like there's something um, that Caitlyn Jenner has kind of talked about that part of why she came out so late in life was that she was so good at being like a a cis man um you know obviously she was like an olympic athlete um and i think you see the the same sort of thing with larry is that it's like oh yeah he was like the ideal 1950s man which would um you know I, i think other people 
have sort of a thing where it's like being in the closet was never an option for them and then like you look at Larry and it's like yeah because you are such the uh the quintessential perfect man it's like yeah obviously you're not gonna know how to come out until you're like 100 or whatever he is right yeah if 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 he yeah if he wasn't the if I keep I keep wanting to call him the negative man because that's what he was called in the comics and on the show that just describes his personality more than anything. <laughs> but uh, if he hadn't merged with the negative spirit, he he would have died in the closet. Yeah, right. Just and then it, it it's such a it's such a, a fun contrast to Cliff, who is when he was alive in in Brendan Fraser's human body was a dirt bag, a wealthy <laughs> right. dirt bag. <laughs> <laughs> they would have hated each other had they not had Larry not been 40 years older than, <laughs> than Cliff now, Cliff there's a bit that I absolutely love if I can relate this to mm-hmm. to my own uh, uh, failings as a person um, is when th- th- he's learning to use his robot body Mm-hmm. And he's trying to walk, and he's trying to walk up those stairs, and he just can't lift his foot far enough, and he keeps clanging off of it. And so many times when you deal with depression, people tell you to just keep putting one foot in front of the other, and <laughs> this is literally a guy who can't do that. Mm-hmm. And then at the but at the end of the 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 pilot, when he's he's going to go back and help this town that was shitty to him. And there's probably nothing he can do because a goat is opening holes in the <laughs> world. And all he's doing is just walking towards it and maybe he'll think of something when he gets there. And then everybody else joins him and Rita's legs go wonky while she but they still like that is literally the most heroic thing they can do is actually is actually be out of the house and walk. <laughs> right, and yeah. That that gets me if I think too hard about it. Yeah, it's it's so sympathetic how much they're struggling. Um, and yeah, like I said, they just do such a better job than I think other superhero media that wants to go for that same vibe. Um, and it also, you know, it's very sympathetic because these, like, they are fucking losers, but it's also like, <laughs> you're like, hey, these are really overwhelming circumstances. Like, you get when, um, when Cyborg comes and, like, here's what the situation actually is and it's like yeah i guess all cliff can do is like chase this donkey around hoping that he gets more information (laughs) there's a giant eye in the sky that's gradually erasing the universe Mm -hmm. i don't know maybe we'll talk to a kid to see if it helps (laughs) um oh can i uh i i I, I want to mention a, a couple characters. One I think you'll 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 will will tickle you. Um, I'm sure you, uh, you were probably on board for uh, Willoughby Kipling in the first place, being the the guy from Supernatural. Mm-hmm. Um, his he was in the book too. He exists because DC wouldn't let Grant Morrison use John Constantine. Oh my god! <laughs> so he just made a guy who was exactly him. <laughs> except with different colored hair. And somehow that character stuck around long enough to make it to television. (laughs) (laughs) 
he's I forgot uh, reading the comics again how much of his stuff from the show comes straight from that with all his weird little artifacts where you know these incredibly specific totems he has or you, you know oh here's how you open a hole in the world to walk through you have to light a match and think about this and it's mm -hmm. like yeah that's <laughs> it's this petty little magic but uh my my favorite guy is Flex Mentallo, mm -hmm. who is a a 50s-style muscle man, uh, to the extent that uh, he's he appears like one issue after the book you read. And his origin... Have you ever heard of Charles Atlas? Oh, yeah, a little bit. Yeah, he's this famous bodybuilder, and in the... 60s honestly through the 80s he advertised his bodybuilding secret in comics and there was this like this six panel strip on the inside cover it'd be like this guy who's at the beach with his girlfriend and some bullies pick on him and he goes home and he kicks over a wastebasket because he's so tired of being picked on and he gets Charles Atlas's uh, formula I, not a formula you don't drink something you work out mm -hmm. yeah, but then he he comes back to the beach, he's all muscular, and he scares off the bullies, and the words hero of the beach appear above his head. <laughs> and there's a picture of Charles Atlas, and he's a big muscle man in this tiny little leopard brief. And they introduce Flex Mentallo in the comics, and he is exactly that. <laughs> and they show his origin, and it's an expanded version of the Charles Atlas ad. And at first, when he used his powers, the words hero of the beach would appear above his head. <laughs> And the Charles Atlas estate sued DC, and for years, Flex Mentallo could not appear, and they could not reprint Doom Patrol. <laughs> <laughs> and they finally worked it out, and they had to get rid of the, the hero of the beach, and they changed his origin for, for the show. Uh, but he is such a... My friend Sam he's, says he's the best superhero because he's the... He maxes out both power level and approachability. <laughs> he's just a nice man who can do pretty much anything if he flexes correctly <laughs> so I, I I love flex mentallo so much that's one you know I'm a longtime superhero nerd and I'm living in a world where every character I've ever heard of is appearing in something right um, and and yet when they said flex mentallo was going to appear on the show I got a little tear. <laughs> I didn't think I was ever going to see Flex Mentallo. <laughs> God, that's the best. I, 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 I keep going off on tangents to be enthusiastic about things. I, I'm going to, I'll let you hit points or have opinions now. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I can't talk oh, about no, Doom Patrol. Fine. I can't I, stop. I, you know, I didn't have any particular points in mind, so we're, we're just vibing. But uh, I do know some characters I want to bring up next. Um, so they're at the very end of what I read. Um, the uh, monkey and a brain in a, in a jar, which I'm pretty Mansoor sure were... Mansoor and the brain. Yeah. I'm pretty sure those were the first Doom Patrol characters I ever heard of uh, from you. Um, I definitely remember... <laughs> You, you're complaining about uh, 
people who complain about that, like homophobes who complain about that couple. And I just remember very clearly you being like, and you just want to tell them if you don't like what gay guys do, they can't do that because they are a monkey and a brain in a jar. Um, but it was funny finally getting to them in the comics uh, and just being like, oh, the the brain is extremely canceled because they like go out yeah. of their way to be like, he raised, he raised him. Yep, I forgot that. <laughs> but a, a cool end. There was a debate from the first time that that issue was published was like, wait a minute, is that is that is that a joke about gay people? You know, is it like, uh, where are you going to be able to marry your dog next? Is a monkey going to be able to marry a brain in a jar? Mm. And I think it can maybe be hard to parse until you're a little more like Grant Morrison is tremendously Mm -hmm. open-minded. I, I, I think he just, I'm sorry. They shit. uh, (laughs) They, they sort of look at, think very much about how a world with superheroes would work mm-hmm. and where there's there's not enough kinds of sexuality in our world to describe what would be possible in the DC <laughs> universe. Right. <laughs> and the fact that that depiction of them has carried over into every time they've appeared since then. <laughs> they are canonically a gay couple since that issue was published. And in fact, they appear, they are not in the first season, correct? No, not that I recall. Okay, they are appear a little in season two and three. Uh, a little because, oh, the, the, the Brain's Jar is in uh, the old Doom Patrol's headquarters. Mm. The, big, the big jar with a skull face on it. Um, they, they do eventually appear... Uh, not much because I think it would exceed their special effects budget to make it look like a gorilla is talking. <laughs> but uh, the the neat thing about about them is they are also original '60s villains. Mm-hmm. And Mister Nobody, who's a key figure in the comics and in the, er, and in the show, um, in the in the comics he's talking about his origin and he talks about how he was a member of the Brotherhood of Evil, but he's the one everybody forgets. And he's the one who built a giant red robot that kicked the crap out of the Doom Patrol. Mm-hmm. In the comics, the Brotherhood, Mr. Morden, was his name, was a member of the Brotherhood. He never appeared after the 60s because he really was forgotten. <laughs> and there is a famous Doom Patrol cover where there is a big red robot that he is piloting that's stomping on them. And that is the red robot in the time loop from the end of the first season. Oh, okay. It's... It's that that's just fun fun trivia on top of the brain being canceled because <laughs> I forgot that aspect of it. <laughs> yeah, I can see how like you said it would be something where people don't know how to take it because they are definitely, you know, evil and gross, but I think that's sort of um the classic uh issue you have with wanting to make good gay rep is that a lot of gay audiences love stuff that's evil and gross and want to see more of it. (laughs) If if you're putting different kinds of sexuality in your universe, it's going to bump up against villains sometimes. Mm -hmm. Um, 
man, that issue is funnier than I remembered it being too, because it's just so. I the fact that Cliff is a brain in a jar the whole time. Also, he's just depressed, <laughs> and when, when the brain is like, ah, finally we face each other on the field of battle, and it's just two jars with brains in them facing <laughs> each other. Oh, can I bring up something on the subject of uh, problematic ships that are possibly canceled? Um, Oh, yeah. So I, from the very beginning, was like, I'm pretty sure Cliff and Jane are a ship, and I'm into it. But they also have him imagining her as his young daughter a lot. So maybe I'm wrong, and I'm not supposed (laughs) to be into this. And the fact that several of her personalities are children, it's really a, it's, you know what, that is something they, they continue to build on. And like, yeah, there's, is there a way the word's problematic? Sure. Also, he's a brain in a robot body. <laughs> yeah, they, they seem. Uh, a big part of Doom Patrol is getting mileage out of being like, hey, even if you don't like it, they can't fuck, so. <laughs> but yeah, there is a, and I, I realized it in, in the comics, I, I saw it more this time, was, yeah, sometimes there's a definite vibe there, and in the, I think in the next book, because Grant Morrison's whole run is reprinted in three books, um, she brings out one of her personalities who definitely wants to fuck Cliff. Mm. Uh, the Scarlet Harlot is the name, um, which, Grant, probably they would not have done that in 2023, but uh, in 1990, and they were very proud of the rhyme. <laughs> uh, but that that's a, a like very aggressive, uh, and and Cliff is definitely not into it because he has 64 different relationships with her depending on who's in charge but uh yeah there's this line in the in the comic about how one of her personalities uh he's the only male she hasn't wanted to castrate (laughs) it's yeah there's there's a lot there's a uh i guess minor spoiler for season four is he has a they managed to work out a way to give him feeling in one hand Mm. And, but he starts wearing an oven mitt because he doesn't want to feel anything until he can hold his grandson. Aww. So he's walking around with an oven mitt all season. <laughs> and he does a parody of the Jughead scene from Riverdale. Oh my god. There's, he, there's a thing where they all sort of get mentally reset to high school and he does a I'm weird. <laughs> Have you ever seen me without this oven mitt? Don't you think that's weird? <laughs> Oh, it's, so it's really funny, but uh, he does take off his oven mitt to hold Jane's hand, and it is, I almost cried. Oh. <laughs> yeah, their relationship is great. Yeah, there's... Man, I and Diane Guerrero has to act opposite the least expressive automated... Well, it's a, it's a man <laughs> in a suit, but the least expressive... like. The show would not work if they had a bigger budget because, like, if Cliff's jaw moved, it would suck. <laughs> and it looks like it's supposed to move, but it doesn't. 
I love when you bring up the small budget because I was definitely like, wow, this looks so much better than a CW show the whole time I was watching it. Oh, it, yeah, like Mr. Nobody, I think, is a really cool effect. Yeah. Yeah, really looks like, incredible, which is one of those, like, weird mysteries of the industry to me where it's like, oh, well, you know, they had the big DC Universe books, so. Right. <laughs> and, like, it looked better than it, like, Titans, which I have only seen that one. I've seen the pilot and that one episode, and it is not for me. But mm -hmm. that is a show that is so cheap that when 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 Beast Boy changes back from an animal, he's always behind something. <laughs> it's you know the fact that they've got a guy in a robot suit walking around all the time, and some characters exist only as special effects. It's like, yeah, actually. There's a lot of animated walking carnivorous butts in this. <laughs> they, they come back, by the way. They're briefly okay. in the first season, but... <laughs> I'm going to say something that you can cut out, and I would not say it on my podcast because I don't want people I know to hear me say it. Okay. But there is in season, I think, three... I, did, I only rewatched season one for this, so it's all a little bit blurry. The, the team is briefly zombies. Mm -hmm. uh, and they fight off an invasion of these butts. You know, these there, there are, are walking butts that are carnivorous. And uh, they're in the cell next to Flex Mentallo. It's very... It, it, it's... It's weird. That's that's one of the things that's completely original to the show, by the way. There's no version <laughs> of the Doom Patrol where they fought butts. <laughs> and and uh, there is a part where, where Jane, zombie Jane, picks up one of the butts and just eats it. <laughs> in the way you would imagine they would approach that. And I had a brief second of thinking, huh. <laughs> <laughs> This might have awakened something. That is so. <laughs> that is my favorite genre of show of stuff like this and Future Man, where it's like, I don't know if I'm into that, and I never will know because it's impossible on several levels. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I was shocked at my reaction to it. <laughs> so, uh, uh, we, we keep mentioning Mr. Nobody, who's sort of the main antagonist. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, he, he plays pretty, he's more fourth wall aware on TV than he was in the comic. Mm, okay. And, like, you know that that that's fairly played out, but some of his was I thought legitimately funny. Mm -hmm. Like he is he is trashing the entire streaming service. <laughs> or, yeah, uh, but or oh sorry. Oh, I was just gonna say the VO was definitely to me like the most off-putting thing about it. Um, uh, and like I hate. Uh, I hate stuff sort of like trying too hard to be like, oh, this isn't what you expected, is it? Look at how we're subverting all these cliches. Um, 
and that, but once he is like an actual character messing with them, it works so much better, and you mm-hmm. sort of like get it at that point. Because um, for the first couple, I don't know, the first two or three episodes, maybe it sort of is just like uh, just meta voiceover just for like no reason, yeah. <laughs> um, but like once, yeah, once you like tap into it and he's an actual character messing with them, that stuff is great. Yeah, it, so for me, because I knew it was Mr. Nobody and I had, so from the jump, I'm like, oh, that's my guy. <laughs> so I, I didn't have that learning curve in this version, but it's, I can see definitely if you just thought it was a show with a sarcastic narrator, it's like, oh God, this. Yeah, like they do, I, I'm pretty sure from the beginning they acknowledge it a little bit. Like he'll be like, oh, this is me and I went to this Nazi experiment. But that's sort of like in the back of your mind. And for a lot of it, yeah. it's just like, oh, this fucking guy is going to come on and be like, hey, look at what underdogs these superheroes are. Can you believe it? Yeah, I think maybe he needed to be a character earlier because they can't assume that everybody, uh, <laughs> anybody is familiar with Mr. Nobody. But yeah, I mean, once, once you get past that, he is he is very funny. Yeah, he's There's, such a good I, character. I think after the goat barfs up various objects and he says something about, well, we've been coasting on the goodwill of Grant Morrison fans <laughs> up until now. <laughs> and... I wish there was an episode where he, first off, he had a bunch of Doom Patrol merchandise that they didn't make until about a year afterwards. <laughs> and that was a misstep. It'd still be an app now if they'd capitalized on that. Mm-hmm. But at one point, he threatens to bring down the entire streaming service. And since nobody was subscribed to it, they really should have just given the front page a Mr. Nobody makeover that week. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And, like, had all recommendations for, like, either villain-focused stuff or the the listing for for Batman Forever would be Mr. Nobody trash-talking Batman or something. Just really <laughs> lean into it. And they, they didn't. It's, I mean, you know, who was on, who was on DC, <laughs> DC Plus or DC Universe? <laughs> you and I and I think I know the two other people. Yeah. <laughs> But he's such a, I, here's the thing that I really love about the existence of the show beyond the, the show, which I, which I like very much, which is uh, maybe come across. Mm. And again, I know I'm talking too much because I just, I love the Doom Patrol and I'm very excited. Is, uh, it, it's less so now because there's so much of it, but when a superhero gets a movie or a TV show, they get a little more enshrined in that universe. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, there's always going to be a Suicide Squad series, even though they made two movies that people, for the most part, did not like. But there's all like, at the time the the first movie came out, there had, uh, you know, there had maybe been two years since 1988 when there was a Suicide Squad comic in publication. Mm-hmm. You know, like it or not, the Eternals are a bigger factor in the comics now because they had a movie. And the Doom Patrol is so often, I mean, they'll go decades without having a series. Or 
uh, they have to try to reboot it to make them fit into the DC universe or they exist sort of outside it. But because of this show, the, the Doom Patrol is a lot more active in comics and it's, uh, and it's Rita and Cliff and Larry and Jane and like Mr. Nobody who had not appeared anywhere since Grant Morrison left the book. Like he was the man, main antagonist and then nobody knew what to do with this guy. I read a Superman comic that has Mr. Nobody in it. <laughs> and a footnote saying you'll next see Mr. Nobody fight Batman. Wow. And it's like that's, and he's still kind of acting like himself too. It's not like he got, uh, like, like they turned him into Joker or something. It's like, yeah, no, he, he traps Superman inside a panel. It, it's it's so fun that that my the fact that this exists and went for four seasons means uh you know my favorite characters have this like they have sort of now a a there's probably a better word than iconic but a, a iconic version mm-hmm. like for the foreseeable future this is going to be who the doom patrol is and this is what their personalities are and uh that's I just like that because I I love these characters and I like that I can see the Doom Patrol more often and you know sometimes you'll just pick up a comic and oh hey there's Larry and he's wearing his big his his coat with a fur (laughs) with with furry lapels and his weird sunglasses and uh, that that just really makes me happy because a lot of a lot of comics uh, stuff, especially stuff that was uh, maybe a little ahead of its time, and then and then turned out to be behind the current time, <laughs> which I guess is most things. But uh, it, it just kind of disappears down the memory hole. And the Doom Patrol are now sort of like when there's a crossover, they will be in it. Mm-hmm. You know, Cliff is gonna punch something, or more likely, fail to punch something, and. That's just, that's kind of separate from what we read, but it's just a, I don't know, it's, it's, this sounds so stupid. I'm glad they got this boost because I think they deserve it. (laughs) Yeah. They're they're my friends. Yeah. (laughs) I I realize I sound like, uh, like like Matt Apodaca on Get Played talking about Pokemon. Uh, (laughs) And referring to them as his friends. But uh, we have a similar approach, I think. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'm just really happy that this is... And now people are aware. They they know who the Doom Patrol are. And people have, have watched this show enough to get it going four seasons. Yeah, damn. That's, that's wild, man. Uh, but... Uh, uh, I, I will I will try to stop monopolizing the conversation again it is a this is probably going to be turn out to be the second longest conversation I've had about the Doom Patrol <laughs> I guess um, uh, another thing I was going to say about sort of the early on voiceover um, like mm-hmm. I when I first started the show sort of in my head was unfavorably for Doom Patrol comparing it to sort of the Legends of Tomorrow pilot because I felt like they did that more organically 
um, with uh, having Rip tell them that he selected them because they're such important heroes and then the reveal that he selected them because they have zero impact on the timeline so it wouldn't <laughs> matter to recruit them to time travel um which i thought was such a good sort of like in universe way to do the like oh these aren't your typical superheroes <laughs> um so in the when i watched sort of the pilot of doom patrol i was like oh they just say it in voiceover <laughs> that's lame but then it was interesting sort of as you see more and more Mr. Nobody to be like, okay, I like this guy. He's sort of like if Batmite was like more Chad, I guess. (laughs) 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 That's really good. (laughs) Yeah, I, I could definitely see that. And uh, I will say I have, I, I, I remember you sort of tweeting some things that I was definitely seeing as Doom Patrol subtweets. <laughs> and I had been very nervous. Not because it's like, oh, if Lenny doesn't like Doom Patrol, we're going to fight. I mean, no, that's, <laughs> that's obviously. But because I had specifically pitched this and put it in front of you, <laughs> I'm like, oh, man, if I made him waste his time, I'm just going <laughs> to... I'll just, I'll just feel like he's got stuff to do. <laughs> no, no. I've definitely been meaning to watch it, and I just, uh, my, my thing is just very like, all superhero media should be about gay losers, but it should also never make a big deal about the fact that they're gay losers. That's like my hard <laughs> stance. Um, <laughs> Little did you know, Larry Trainer was waiting for you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I am genuinely curious if, uh, because they they are getting a new Doom Patrol series in the comics in a in a couple months. I have to assume Larry is just going to be gay going forward because I feel like there's nothing to him, based on his old portrayal. Yeah, I hope so. You know. I, I feel like that would be. Um, I don't think Gerard Gerard Way's issues addressed it so much because Larry was not a huge part of those. Like there was a lot of uh, uh, new characters and like the Doom Patrol kind of showing up at the last minute. But I, it might have slipped my mind because it's it's weird how it's one of those things where it seems so natural. It's like, well, yeah, of course, that <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah, the I fact don't... that. Oh, go ahead. Nobody, nobody complained about it. When it doesn't matter what comic character it is, somebody is mad if they are, oh, say, black now when they weren't before. You know, even Wonder Man is getting that over at Marvel. Nobody likes Wonder Man. He is the worst Marvel character. Mm-hmm. You, he's black now. Great, they cast somebody with charisma. Maybe they can make something out of this mess. <laughs> and suddenly you have people coming out of the woodwork to go, oh, not my Wonder Man. No, he's not your, he's nobody's Wonder Man. Nobody cares. And I saw no, although I think maybe the people who would be upset about that were kind of put off by, by the show maybe immediately and never thought about it again. But uh, it's, yeah, it, it's, it's one of the few things that's given me any sort of... Uh, uh, faith in 
in any sort of organized fandom over the last few years is, <laughs> yeah, everybody's cool with Larry being gay. Yeah, DCTV is really interesting because, like, in contrast to Marvel, which will just be like, yeah, Loki mentions that maybe he was with boys one time in 10 episodes, and that's going to be a news headline for two months before the show premieres. Um, DC, like, they've all had gay characters for, like, quite some time, and now, like, like, Doom Patrol is one of the many shows that's produced by Greg Berlanti, which is, like, this weird shift where it's, like, for some reason, Warner Brothers put this, like, horny gay Dawson's Creek writer in charge of all DC properties, which is so weird, but it has, like, worked out very well for everybody. <laughs> it's wild that on the basis of Eli Stone, they just went, <laughs> hey, let's give him the keys. Yeah, I hope... Um... I hope he continues to be gay in other versions. Um, I, I don't know, like, it's weird seeing when that does and doesn't happen. Like, I don't know if um, you would probably know this, if uh, Penguin has ever been gay since Gotham. He has not, but they... Here's the thing, is they love the Gotham version of Penguin so much, but he's so incompat incompatible with modern <laughs> Penguin. Mm -hmm. There was really an effort to phase him out and replace him with his illegitimate son. <laughs> and who was a lot more like Gotham Penguin. And who I believe was gay. And it just didn't take because this character had 80 years of inertia. Mm -hmm. But he has again sort of been written out of the books by faking his own death. So we might still, might still see it. But there's... Part of it is, you know, Gotham Penguin is such a part of his thing is he's such an up and comer sort of underdog. Uh, scra yeah, I mean, he starts out as, as an umbrella holder at the beginning of the series. Right. And by this point in, in, in comics, Penguin is in charge of the underworld. Right. Yeah. And Do you think it would be <laughs> it would be too jarring to just have him to just jump right to a version where he just has a trophy husband because we've only really seen him be like an awkward gay virgin at this point. Oh, I, th I think they could do it. it. He has typically been portrayed though as such a, as like such a sleazy, horny guy. Oh, interesting. With, like, his yeah, treatment like of Danny women has always been version. kind of, yes, but it's not, I mean, it's, it's not so key to the character that you couldn't just get rid of it. And no, and it's like, well, he's got like 10 different things. He runs <laughs> a lounge. He's got, he's obsessed with birds. He's got an umbrella. You can leave <laughs> out the thing. You could leave out the things where he's slapping asses. Right. <laughs> but I think more likely you will, they will try to do the, in fact, they recently established, he has a lot of illegitimate kids uh, that he was trying to find and, he faked his own death so he could have them killed <laughs> before they came for him. And so it's definitely set up for a, for a Gotham esque penguin. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, sometimes it clicks some, uh, one that's, that's real interesting is, uh, I mean, as interesting as anything could be when it involves the Eternals <laughs> is, uh, uh, 
this is how interested, interesting the turtles are. I'm not sure that I'm pronouncing this character's name correctly. Uh, Makari. Mm, okay. Who in the movie is a, a deaf woman of color with super speed powers. Mm-hmm. In the comics, since his creation and till three months before the movie came out, Makari was a able-bodied white man. Oh, wow. And then in the comics now is just is 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 black and deaf and a woman and kingo is now uh uh east indian um any character who was created before the 70s was probably white originally is the (laughs) unless they had black in their name so you know that yeah it's it's hard to say what what kicks in and what doesn't and and dc's in such a state of flux now with multiple continuity reboots overlapping with one another mm-hmm. but it does feel like they've tried to pull more and more gotham elements into it um so i i would not be surprised if even if it's not oswald cobblepot if there is a a it feels funny to say gay penguin because it sounds like the <laughs> second the season parks premiere and parks and recreation yeah. <laughs> um <laughs> But yeah, I, I would hope... not be at all surprised for that to exist <laughs> in the near future. Yeah, I hope there are more uh, gay versions of Larry Trainer because his, I think, plot, uh, at least in season one, is like pretty basic. Um, I really like him as a character, but as far as the storyline goes, um, it's sort of one of my pet peeves when people like set things kind of far in the past, but it's like so clearly like has our contemporary ideas about coming out because like so so much of it is his lover who is also a fighter pilot in the 1950s and like the midwest being like come on why don't you just come out and then him being like oh yeah i ruined his life with my secrets and it's like i i mean i think it was valid of you to not just come out in the in 1954 even if you weren't both in the military it would have been kind of a dice roll but yeah Yeah, he's got, and they they have moved beyond that. You know, he's tried to reconcile with his kids, who are now middle-aged men. Hmm. Um, and he is currently raising a baby negative spirit. Aww. Um, this, this show, I, I don't know if you're going to watch more seasons. It goes in, it's gone in some, some wild uh, uh, directions. Mm-hmm. And... One of the like they finally started to decide they have to actually be superheroes and do hero stuff, but them deciding that coincides with them basically losing all of their powers. <laughs> <laughs> they're they're going out and actually trying to fight criminals. Cyborg does not have cyborg parts currently on the show. <laughs> and Larry has a baby negative spirit that maybe won't listen to him. <laughs> Like they're at their least effective, and Rita's like, "No, we're we're doing this. We're superheroes now." <laughs> oh man, it's yeah. Uh, God, I love these idiots. Uh... <laughs> yeah. This hey, show can is... we talk about Timothy Dalton as the chief? We have not really talked about him. Yeah, I don't think I had ever seen him in anything before. He did not look like what I expected. He was a lot younger than I thought, and uh, 
it was it was exciting being like, oh, that's I guess that's Timothy Dalton's deal. I think he, I think he hits it out of the park. He's, I mean, he's getting into heaven for me because he was a James Bond and now he's the chief. <laughs> and he's the the chief is such a weird character because he had no personality for so long, and then uh, you probably in the book you saw he's he's a little. He's he's kind of there's a malevolent side to him, but he's already just kind of shitty in the book. Like he's very derisive and dismissive of everybody, and like I I do not care for the way he treats Cliff mm-hmm. or or Josh, who is briefly on the show. Um, and you learn some bad stuff about the chief. So there's this, which which does kind of get into develop on the show. But he's, you need to root for him, but also he is a problem. Hmm. And Timothy Dalton does, I think he does a really good job with this character who, as much as I love the Doom Patrol, is not that fleshed out beyond being kind of an asshole. And so when he disappears for a while, it's like, oh yeah, it's, this is a problem. Hmm. It's, yeah, I th- I think he's great. I really like I like the performance. I love the entirely new backstory they've created for him where he hooks up with a cryptozoological phenomenon, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, he he also is no longer on the show and they get rid of him about as thoroughly as you can get rid of a character. Um, <laughs> which I don't think was a thing. I think he just had a they did exactly as many episodes as he was going to sign on for. And <laughs> then he almost got Poochie was killed on the way back to his home planet. Wow. But it's still a, you know, like because they're so socially crippled. And so just him not being around for a brief time is so, so traumatizing for them. It's not like, uh, Oh, somebody, Professor X has been kidnapped. Well, we got eye beams and telepathy, and you know, like we're we'll get him back. It's like, well, we can't really leave the house. Yeah, they do such a great job of uh, just like making it really feel real and making it be like, yeah, he was raising these freakish adults who sit around all day drinking martinis, and like they are his small helpless children. <laughs> Yes, and definitely enabling that. Like, it's yeah. going to be a problem for him if they do decide they want to go outside. Um, so, yeah, the Chief's a creep in a lot of ways, but I think it's such a... It's a really good performance, and he's a... This is maybe my favorite version of the Chief. Mm-hmm. And it's weird that in the Titans episode that introduces them, it's a completely different actor. <laughs> Who does not look like Timothy Dalton and again is not in a wheelchair (laughs) (laughs) I guess I'll ask hey here's a oh no go ahead I just want to get maybe the last probably significant character and significant is pushing it but weird Uh, how about the beard hunter (laughs) do do you have any uh, any He's a guy I find fascinating. The he was in season one, right? Am I? Mm-hmm. Did I completely brain fart? 
Uh, no, so I remember he, him a little. Yeah, he's this weird guy who, if he eats a, a facial hair, he can he knows everything about you. <laughs> <laughs> Which he he's in the comic just after the book you read, but he's just a straight up Punisher parody who hunts men with beards. Like, the whole thing about eating facial hair to gain second sight is not in there. And the comic he's in is funny. It's He's got his Punisher narration and that he's trying to track down the chief in a grocery store. The chief is laying all these traps for him. And like a Heinz 57 display falls on him. He goes, ah, I took 57 varieties. It feels like 58. <laughs> you know, just... But it's such... It's what I think the show does really well is kind of find these characters who didn't have much beyond a single joke and it, maybe there's still going to be a single joke, but it's a different joke and it's a weirder one. <laughs> <laughs> grabbing grabbing one of Cyborg's beard hairs out of the sink just so he... It's, it, it's a... And he has, a, he has an identical twin brother who appears in season four who hunts butts. Oh, wow. It's... It's the same actor, and hmm. nobody acts like they've seen him before. <laughs> it really makes me laugh. Um, I, and I cut you off while I was being so enthusiastic about the Beard Hunter. I apologize. Oh, no. It's okay. I was just going to ask, um, Are there were there any characters where you felt like the show did a worse job than, than previous versions you'd seen? Um... Boy, not in the not in the first season. I think they were a little later on. There, there's somewhere I I don't think they. Uh, uh, Red Jack comes to the show and he is kind of a he, he he's the guy who claims to be God and Jack the Ripper and is maybe not lying. Mm. Uh, he's he ends up being kind of a non-entity in the show. Uh, but. There, there wasn't any anybody where I walked away with going, boy, that's that's not the way to do that one. <laughs> like I was, I was I was so happy with season one and the the changes they made were uh, either for the better or value neutral but interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I, 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 I wish Mister Nobody's uh, Brotherhood of Dada had been in it, but they're actually in season three as the sisterhood of Dada. Oh, okay. And most of those characters carry over and, uh, unfortunately not, not, uh, uh, the quiz who has every power you haven't thought of. Right. Yeah. <laughs> God, that, you know, what's wild about that is Grant Morrison went on to write justice league. <laughs> and you can see them, uh, uh, some some things that they're trying out in Doom Patrol, they then transfer into the biggest selling book <laughs> at the time, <laughs> was uh, to give you snapshots of a world-threatening crisis. It would be all these weird little details like everybody in New York forgot the word harmony for 15 minutes. <laughs> you know, like every storyline would have like those montages of those things. Mm. And when they were writing Justice League, it would suddenly be like, uh, you know, everybody in Paraguay fell asleep at the same time just these little details just to show how big and weird the threat is and it's like oh man they started doing that on Doom Patrol and just <laughs> went, yeah but what happens if Superman 
has to deal with that. <laughs> uh, can I mention something that I only thought of because, uh, well, I was just like Googling stuff. There was a picture of it. But um, so Rebus, the like version of, do they still call it Negative Man? I guess they wouldn't. Um, but the version um, of Larry in the comic, uh, which goes yeah. by Rebus. Um, uh, since I was looking at a picture of it, I just want to mention that it is like the horniest thing. Uh, like just <laughs> clearly in there so you can look at the outline of someone with big boobs and a big dick bulge, which I think like now in 2023 is like almost a little off-putting but uh i do think it was really cool that they were like oh this yeah this is a comic that preteen boys are gonna buy let's put in this character <laughs> now most of the time rebus was wearing a trench coat completely covered but every once There's, in a while there are some panels where you're like oh okay yeah yep and Eventually, that that run became uh, mature readers, but oh, okay. I don't. I think the book that you read, none of it was. <laughs> Timmy could buy this off the off the off the stands right next to, uh, you know, right next to Green Lantern. Yeah, and it's just like, you know, I guess this wouldn't be pre-internet, but definitely pre like having your own computer in your bedroom that's not shared by your family members i'm <laughs> sure like that panel would really change a person i feel like it yes i <laughs> <laughs> I, I i i truly do think that uh grant morrison on doom patrol was kind of a uh probably did open up a lot of minds to things beyond just me realizing i shouldn't be crappy <laughs> Uh, and if you get a chance that uh, following up the, Grant Morrison was one of the rare people to leave Doom Patrol and not have the book be immediately cancelled mm. um, following up on, on, on their run uh, was a woman named Rachel Pollock um, and she was the first trans woman to write for Marvel or DC oh okay and her run is really is kind of an exploration of that that I have now been it sailed over my head at the time um, I have read every Doom Patrol comic and her stuff never quite landed with me because I don't think I understood it and um, I, I've just gone back recently and started rereading it and uh, it's it's some really interesting explorations of sexuality and it's it, it it's it's worth checking out it it's it's very interesting there's some really she really brings some new characters to it uh some of which have made their way to tv and uh and i uh i don't know i i'm i'm getting a new appreciation for this but her her work is uh, Grant Morrison feels ahead of their time in a lot of ways. She feels maybe farther ahead of her time in different ways. Mm, okay. Like it's it it's a one-two punch of people who are are really going for something big that was not fully appreciated at the time. And I'm glad 
they're they're both getting sort of reassessed in this. It's coming back into print now. Mm. Um, so that was my plug for a book yeah. that you didn't read. <laughs> that sounds good, though. Yeah, I'll have to check it out. Uh, yeah. Okay. That that was my piece. <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. Rebus wake, uh, awakening people. <laughs> now now I remember how we got there. <laughs> You know what occurred to me, and I I don't even know that this existed as a as a a term, uh, be, and I would not be surprised to find out that it didn't. I just didn't know it. But uh, when Rebus keeps correcting Cliff for calling him Larry, like it is sunk. Uh, Cliff's dead naming is dead naming Rebus. Mm-hmm. He has to stop that. Yeah. And to his credit, he eventually does. Like later on, he does start saying Rebus, and it it it, it jumped. It never, I never would have occurred to me in 1991, and now I'm reading. Going, dude, Rebus is dealing with a lot already. <laughs> but with these weird asides about about Russian nesting dolls and alchemy that I always assumed I would fully understand when I'm older, and I still don't. <laughs> yeah, Cliff. Uh... Uh, as a really great character, I think, especially on the show, but you start to see it in the book of just sort of being like the dumbest meathead, but also sort of leaning towards <laughs> being like, oh, I guess this is how this person wants to be treated. So, okay, I'll go with that. Yeah, he's he, like he's the only one who came back after the first time the Doom Patrol died and he had been put into more conventional superhero settings. And they, they sort of play with that at first. Like, he just wants to get back to punching stuff. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, his mind really gets opened up by seeing the ends of reality and and Rebus and the men from nowhere and, you know, Danny. Cliff's always cool to Danny. Mm-hmm. He's, he's a good guy. He means well, but he's, he's definitely a much shittier guy at the mm-hmm. beginning of the TV show. Yeah. Like, almost the first image on the show is is him rather graphically having sex with the nanny. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and they never get that graphic again. Yeah. But um, it's... Yeah, I feel like because Cliff is such kind of like a sleazy meathead, they're like, they're able to have... They're a- they're able to do things with him that I think wouldn't work with other characters. Like when, whenever Jane is like, "Oh, you you need to get rid of your toxic masculinity," I'm like, oh, "Is that how they think millennials talk? This this fucking sucks." But like when you have Cliff being like, "Oh, I know. Let's all go to therapy. Therapy helps." It's like he's just <laughs> dumb enough that you can be like, "Oh yeah, that's that's cute that you're trying therapy." <laughs> Bless his heart, he he does eventually start trying. <laughs> that, that, yeah, that thing of him being a dirtbag is sort of a new characterization because, you know, in the 60s, the image of a race car driver was a lot different than, you know, the post-NASCAR era. And it was just another cool job that a man could have. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That was pretty much what you could do in D.C. was have a cool man job or maybe be a reporter. By the or, way, I don't... or I guess you could be a woman. <laughs> um, I don't know if I missed something, uh, but I 
for most of the show was like wondering if they knew that Larry was gay and then when Cliff just like suddenly says it's like no gay he's about to come out I I wasn't sure if I had missed something or Cliff for some reason has incredible gaydar possibly because he was a bully in high school and he senses it I I feel like Rita definitely knew yeah I felt like Rita did because they sort of have almost a like marriage of convenience going on yeah like they're they're pretty close in that way and they were in that that terrible house for decades before cliff even came along (laughs) (laughs) that is really fun that scene is really funny yeah god what an idiot (laughs) this when everybody talks about the brendan fraser renaissance this is the brendan fraser renaissance that is something that it's something that is like such a strange phenomenon is how often I see people be like, oh, I love Brendan Fraser. Like, I wish he'd have a comeback. And you're like, his show is on season four. Like, it's weird. <laughs> which, which I would understand if it was still on DC Universe, but I'm like, I know you could watch yeah. it. I've seen your White Lotus tweets. <laughs> Even weirder when they canceled the Batgirl movie that he was going to be in. And people are saying, oh, it would have been a shame. It, it would have been so good to see Brendan Fraser in the DC universe. <laughs> he is. <laughs> Honestly, he's been in it longer than anybody who's not on the WB at the, or the CW. Oh, my God, I'm old. <laughs> Grant Gustin has been in the DC universe longer than he has, and that's about it. <laughs> yeah, people... Uh... It's it's the show people don't know they want. You've got Brendan Fraser and you've got Matt Bomer on a project that's not Ryan Murphy. Yeah. It's all anyone oh my needs. God. And, yeah, and uh, April Bowlby, who I was not familiar with, but apparently she was well-beloved when she was on Two and a Half Men. Oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> she is so good, and I think I might be in love with her. But it might just be that I... I, I she makes me so so very sad yeah she is good and yeah now like seeing the picture i'm like oh yeah she does kind of have a two and a half men look about her this does look right yeah she dated charlie charlie sheen for like eight episodes wow my 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 friend sam was watching this and he was very excited because he he had specifically mentioned her to me before as somebody who was funny on that show yeah because Sam has a lot of time to watch TV shows he doesn't like, and maybe somebody good will be on it eventually. And, <laughs> We've all been and there. And you've been telling me about this one woman. I'm like, I'm never going to be able to figure out who that is. She <laughs> ran for 12 years. The IMDb cast list is 1,800 people. Mm-hmm. And he was so excited when she was on Doom Patrol. <laughs> Uh, speaking of great casting, there's the really good episode plot where... Um, Jane turns into the rom-com obsessed character and like decides to date just the like most milk toast guy and that casting is so good because you like see him and there's like 20 different guys you're like oh is it him is that is it Stephen Amell is it Chase Crawford and then you're like no it's someone I've never seen before but he is absolutely the bland rom-com love interest he is the arithmetic mean of of (laughs) rom-com interests
<laughs> also, yeah, when Jane goes blonde in rom copy, it's really funny. Yeah. She she's good. It is a good cast. And it's just, you know, I, uh, April Bowlby and Diane Guerrero, I don't think I was aware of at all. I and I do. only knew Cyborg. I was just sorry, curious. Did you not watch uh, Orange is the New Black? Only a little. Oh, okay. I think I only saw Lauren Lapkus episodes. <laughs> and, uh, oh, the uh, uh, Jovian Wade, who plays Cyborg, is British. Oh, wow. I know him from Doctor Who. <laughs> he got Clara killed. It's, it's, any, anytime somebody's on a, you find out somebody's been secretly British, it always blows my mind because yeah. you know, no, no, oh, no British person has ever been fooled by an American actor. <laughs> uh, you know, a really weird one. Maybe you already knew this, but it is insane to me. Uh, Homelander is from fucking New Zealand. What? Yeah. I really, I have not looked up interviews, but I just am horrified by the idea of him going around being like, I'm Homelander. <laughs> oh, no. That's amazing. <laughs> it's so I, weird. There must be footage of him talking like Flight of the Concords out there. Yeah. <laughs> wow. That, he might, he might be the, the, the most fake American. Yeah, so it was funny. I was literally, I was watching Our Flag Means Death and I was like, can no New Zealanders hide it? Are there no sneaky New Zealanders because their voice is so dumb and obvious? So I Googled it. And then when I saw Homelander, I was like, okay, never mind. <laughs> he's, he's the one who cracked it. Reese Darby's been in the lab just trying to figure out how to, how to be American. <laughs> Wow, I have to reassess some things now. <laughs> I I guarantee nobody in New Zealand has ever been fooled. <laughs> Boy, that he, he's not from New Zealand? No. <laughs> and and yet there are some amazing actors who like Liam Neeson trying to be American. And he just does all those flat vowels. And it's like, yeah, you, you're not fooling anybody, Liam Neeson. <laughs> <laughs> Somehow the Homelander and Cyborg are are lapping you. <laughs> wow. Okay, I think I've I think I've we've mentioned all the cast now at least. So Oh, uh, um, uh, Alan Tudyk is Mr. Nobody, which is, yes, seemed like kind of a casting coup. Yeah, he's fucking incredible, yeah. Man, that, that guy does so much voiceover work now. Like, yeah. he's, if, if you watch that Harley Quinn show on HBO Max, if there's a male character, it's probably him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the, um, I was looking at the Mr. Nobody fan wiki, and the fan wiki <laughs> says uh, status doing a voiceover gig on a different show. <laughs> yeah, the casting is really good and I think it's interesting that 
both Brendan Fraser and Matt Bomar are like actors who are like very, very like known for their bodies and like objectified more than like most men in Hollywood. And I think it's very interesting that it's like, uh, you know, good news. Now you get to play someone who just doesn't have a body. Like, I hope that's sort of uh, a liberating role. I don't know. All right. Um, did you hear the last thing I said? Okay. Um, so I was just saying, uh, I think it's interesting that they have both Brendan Fraser and Matt Bomer, who are sort of like really known for their bodies and were very like objectified in Hollywood. And it's interesting that now it's like you're you're playing a character who doesn't have a body. Like, I, I hope that's, that it's a liberating role for them. And the, the thing is, they both really do a good job as yeah. voice actors. Like, not, you know, if you're not going to have them on screen, it, it, it always feels weird to hire a, uh, hire a, a famous person instead of somebody who is, you know, a specific voice actor. Because sometimes you get like, you know, every DreamWorks movie of the 2000s where it's like, <laughs> yeah, I know who these people are. They don't, their yeah. voice, they're not very expressive without their faces. And I think, Avril Lavigne is in it for some reason. Yeah. Even, you know what? I know he's the greatest comedian of our time, but Justin Timberlake in one of the Shrek movies <laughs> is just such a, such a non-entity. But I think Matt Bober and Brendan Fraser both really... Brendan Fraser is so mournful. Um, any, I mean, the fact that he's a character whose catchphrase is, what the fuck? <laughs> but he, he really sounds sad. Like, it is, a, it is an incredible voice performance. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Matt Bober's got... He doesn't even, even have a face to look at, so he's really <laughs> got to do a lot of... I mean, Cliff at least has eyes and a mouth that don't work, but you you are looking at a face as opposed to uh, as opposed to bandages. <laughs> By the way, I I looked up Doom Patrol to just to make sure that we are getting the main cast, and for some reason, the very first actor on Google under cast is Riley Shanahan as Robot Man, which I guess is the guy who's like actually in yes, the suit. In the suit. <laughs> Top Who also gives a good Shanahan. performance. Since there's yeah. not a second actor, I'm assuming Matt Bomer is, like, actually negative man. And I do think he does good standing acting. Oh, wait, no, there <laughs> is another actor. It's Matthew Zook, I guess, is the guy doing all the standing. So Larry is two Matts. And uh, 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 Brendan Fraser and, and uh, Riley Shanahan have the same birthday. <laughs> wow. which is adorable every year the doom patrol twitter account reminds us of this uh, yes i follow the doom patrol on twitter and instagram <laughs> and the fact that i can do that is we live in an age of miracles now there's a couple of people who become important in later seasons uh michelle gomez who is briefly on gotham and doctor who is a main character in seasons three and four and she's also great <laughs> She was the, she on Gotham. She was one of the six hundred characters with forgotten plot lines. <laughs> right. She was like the lady you would contact to hire a hitman. Oh, and okay. she, she's the one who sent the flamingo, 
the guy who ate faces. <laughs> um, she is a major character now, and she is she's also great. It's just a lot of people who are fun to watch, and uh, they all seem so nice. <laughs> did you? Uh, I don't really watch the the CW shows, but when they did that big crossover, the Crisis on Infinite Earths crossover a year or two ago. Mm-hmm. And in the finale, there was a shot of the Doom Patrol who were established as being on a different Earth from all the rest of them. Yeah. But the Doom Patrol were seen celebrating the survival of the multiverse. <laughs> yeah, that was really fun. Um, they, yeah, they like sort of give this whole speech about like, oh, there's, you know, we're all out here and it shows all the different earths and you see yeah you titans and doom patrol skipping around um yeah it was so nice i like it was one of those moments where you're like oh i'm i'm embarrassing i'm getting very emotional that they're like <laughs> plugging hbo um an hbo max subscription basically in this episode and it, it works yeah <laughs> i yeah, I'm embarrassed by how emotionally involved I am with corporate IP, but, uh, you know, they're the Doom Patrol. They're my guys. Yeah, it, yeah, it is. It's just so, so nice. And, yeah, there, there's just something very addictive about it that they're all theoretically related in this continuity, like, I think I sort of like it for the same reasons that I like, like, Degrassi. It's just like, oh, there's so many people to learn. (laughs) (laughs) You know, my, uh, if if we're going to look at the larger DC franchise for just one second, my pitch is that only the things I like should be considered in continuity, and then the the movies should be based on that. (laughs) So the... Uh, I think they have to scrap everything. I think the current DCEU continuity is Doom Patrol, uh, Peacemaker, and Gotham is Batman's backstory. (laughs) Whoever they cast as Batman has to be a follow-up from Gotham. I love it. And Robin Lord Taylor and uh, uh, Corey, I cannot remember Nickman's name. Corey Corey Michael Smith. Smith. Corey Michael Smith. If, if you have to age them up a little, go for it. They get first dibs on Penguin and Riddler. Yeah, absolutely. Is Joker in the next Batman movie? No, because he's a very old man now. <laughs> I, I don't... That's why they gave the job to James Gunn instead of me, is that uh, my top priority is keeping Doom Patrol and Gotham in continuity. Man, I agree. Like, I feel like the the whole reason I'm way more into DC than Marvel is just that I truly only care about TV shows and not movies, and <laughs> DC is just doing a much better job at that. Yeah, there's, man, it's, it's, uh, that, that's, I'm gonna have to have, uh, I'll have to have you on Fed Talks to talk about the, uh, sprawling superhero universes from different perspectives, because, uh, uh, that, that's a whole different thing that is not, uh, does not involve surfing chapters. <laughs> but we live in a weird world, man. Yeah. <laughs> Twelve years ago, there's a show about Green Arrow? <laughs> and... 
it's it's so fucking weird like the I feel like the most surreal moment for me was when Florence Pugh was on Hawkeye I was just like imagine if like an A-list movie star was on Smallville just being like, oh, well, I'm in the DC movies, so I have to also be on Smallville. It's like if Amy Adams got her Oscar nomination before her Smallville guest. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's, it's so weird. It's like, hey, Don Cheadle's going to stop by your TV show for a second. (laughs) Man, yeah, we're, it's, we're, it's... Yeah, it's so weird, because now, like, you'll see see them, it, like, backfire on them, where, like, people are responding badly to She-Hulk, and Marvel fans are like, hey, don't, don't expect it to be, you know, incredible little cinematic television, it's just supposed to be, like, a fun, goofy sci-fi show, and you're like, well, whose fault is that, that now people are expecting that? You've told us what to expect, and <laughs> uh, although to be fair, most of the complaint with She-Hulk is that she's a woman. <laughs> I I have this theory that that nerds only get upset about uh, female superheroes if they acknowledge that sexism <laughs> exists. Um, so She-Hulk and Captain Marvel are very big problems for them because there there's this acknowledgement. Whereas Wonder Woman's okay because they acknowledge it, but it's set a hundred years ago. So you don't have to think about how you are. Superheroes are sort of like all media in that sense. That's because true. <laughs> you look at it, you're like, okay, we can have mad men, but we can't have people with dealing with intense sexism in the present day because that's, that's unrealistic. Yeah, I had this moment where I'm a, uh... I'm, I'm reading very old Daredevil comics. That's my project for the year. And it is a reminder that uh, uh, Stan Lee could only give women one personality, and that was being a woman. <laughs> and it's like, a lot of genre TV didn't move beyond that. A lot of it did, but you still see it some places. And it, it still sucks, but this really... Every woman in a 1960s Marvel comic has the same personality, which is to say, they're most they're supportive of whoever their love interest is. <laughs> it's it's kind of horrifying. It would be a good uh, uh, it'd be like if 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 all of Wandavision had been the first episode in the I Love Lucy scenario. <laughs> that 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 was just how Stanley wrote every female character. We've gotten totally away from the Doom Patrol now. I apologize. <laughs> it's okay. Should we uh, should we wrap up? Did you have any anything you know you wanted to get to before before we wrap up? Um, I think I, I I hit most of. I'll probably think of something later, but you know, certainly everything that warranted addressing has been addressed. <laughs> All right, let's let's get into some ratings and recommendations. Okay. Um, do you want to go first? Because you're, you, I'm, I'm gun shy after your Watchmen review. <laughs> I, 
uh, it's truly unfortunate how that Watchmen episode shook out. I don't think that we'll ever have that kind of disparity again, I hope. Um, so yeah, I'm going to give the, the comic I read uh, three stars. I thought it was really solid. Uh, had a little trouble getting into it, but there were some parts I thought were, were really interesting and fun. And yeah, it was definitely good enough that I, that I want to read more. Um, and then I'm going to give the show a three and a half. Uh, I think if I watch more, it could maybe, I feel like it could potentially get up to a four. I'm really, really enjoying it. Um, but yeah, I think it's, uh, compared to other superhero shows, which like aside from prestige miniseries is, are usually very like meta of the week focused. Um, Doom Patrol is very good at sort of like, these internal uh, character-driven episodes. Um, and so I, I think it's a really impressive show. Uh, I'm going to give it 3.5. All right. I'm going to go bigger. Uh, here's the thing. I do have a, a long history with the Doom Patrol that is mm. impossible to, to uh, separate. And... I feel like in a vacuum of either the comic or the TV show, they wouldn't be... I, I, I still love them both individually, but I don't think they would rank as as high, but I'm kind of looking at them in concert with one another and how, you know, the, the TV builds on the comic and what they do differently and how it's... I just like the way the two things sort of interact with their... Uh, different approaches of getting around the same material and acknowledging that they are both are, are still are are flawed uh i i have to, i'm going four and a half for both looking at them as right. as a as a whole piece i i can't even separate them now it's all part of the big doom patrol uh voltron in my head yeah, I definitely see that with like decades of attachment to the characters, and yeah, they they're very good. I I definitely see that. All right, and we were way closer than on our last reviews. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I feel like you know, honestly, I feel like my first impression ratings are always like a little low. There was a tweet I saw that I really related to that was like, sometimes I'll be sitting around and I'll be like, oh, I love that movie. What a masterpiece. And then I look up my Letterboxd review and I gave it three stars. And I was like, oh, man, I do do that. <laughs> it's just like, there's something about when you first read something or first watched it that you're like, well, I don't, I don't want to give it four stars now. You know, <laughs> like it feels premature. Yeah, it's like giving, a, giving Troy Aikman a B plus so he has room to, room to improve. <laughs> And I think in this context, you're doing this every time, and the guest is is not. So I don't rank things that often. For if usually if I rank something, I'm probably going to rank high because I'm ranking something I like, as opposed to <laughs> I'm going to rank something once a week or once a month. Or what I'm saying is, you're 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 a professional at giving out scores, and I am a. <laughs> oh, thank you. I'm a neophyte. Um, all right. So, you know, I like to end on a recommendation. Um, since I liked the show better, I'm going to recommend a book for fans of the show. And I think I'm going to go with uh, 
Lunar Park by Brett Easton Ellis. Um, I think the humor in it is pretty similar to the show where it's, you know, a mix of truly absurd abstract situations and meta commentary and also just being like a dumb and sad and embarrassing washed up man. Um, I think they're, they're on, they're on similar wavelengths. You, you have a type is what you're saying. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, you know what? I will also uh, do, a, do a book. Um, I just started something that I think is really good, but having not finished it, I, I'm not comfortable uh, fully endorsing it because it might take a swift turn into hard right politics or something. <laughs> uh, it's uh, Sea of Tranquility, the, the Station Eleven follow-up. Oh, okay. Um, instead, and I think I fall into this a lot, I, let's let's stick with this writer. Uh, uh, Grant Morrison just published their first novel at the end of last year. It's called Luda. That I have not read yet. It's on my shelf. Uh, it's about magic drag queens, so I feel like I need to be in the right frame of mind. Mm-hmm. It does feel a little like, okay, Grant, what... I, I don't know if this is going to make me cringe or not, because <laughs> you can be a mixed bag, my friend. Um, but they wrote a book about five years ago called Super Gods. And it is partly biography, which seems incredibly arrogant. But uh, given that, that uh, uh, Grant was present at all these sort of major things in in comics over the last 30 years is is kind of warranted but it also gets in it's a lot of it is the history of of comics and specifically superheroes through grant morrison's perspective like them interpreting what the avengers meant to them as a kid in scotland in the 70s and uh what you know, what Superman meant to them then versus now after having written him. Uh, it's this really interesting and thoughtful, and it has this thing where it will make you both like Grant Morrison more and like them less, uh, because there are some parts that seem kind of mercenary. And it's like, mm. oh, yeah, Grant Morrison is just a person with multiple dimensions. <laughs> they are neither hero nor villain 100%. But that was something I thought was really interesting. Uh, um, and if you if you like superheroes and, uh, you know, especially reading about bad 70s comics is better than reading them. So there's a lot of things that they have this really interesting perspective on. I'm like, I don't feel like ever having to read that, but I'm glad you broke it down <laughs> for me. So yeah, Super Gods by Grant Morrison and Sea of Tranquility has a partial recommendation just because I haven't read that much of it. <laughs> nice. All right, you want to do your plugs? Um, yeah, thank you. Uh, I have a podcast, uh, Fed Talks, which most of the time has no premise, but occasionally I have a guest on to talk about a short-lived TV show that they love. Uh, and, and you were on it to talk about American Vandal last year. Mm-hmm. And um, you will probably be back. Uh, not that we have planned anything, but it, that's just a given. 
<laughs> um, and that's that's good. Uh, also, um, this is a dumb. Pl- uh, I have a website called the Apive where I very rarely get around to writing about TV, but I wrote a bunch of things over the last month. And uh, because I'm 47 years old, I have a TikTok. Uh, EJ Fettis on TikTok and. The premise is that I do bad movie reviews, uh, which is to say I review movies badly. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you know, like I do a, there's, they're just real short with one joke, but there's one where I review uh, a Tom Cruise movie and it's, it's a straightforward review, but I just, I call him Todd Cruise the entire time. <laughs> uh, and there's, there's one where I, I review the Fablemans without a shirt and I don't notice I'm shirtless until the end. And that one posted to my social media, but it cut off the end where the joke is. So people just thought I, I'm now going up putting putting out videos of myself shirtless talking about movies. So that that ruined my life. But uh, they're they're funny and dumb, and they won't take you very long. Uh, it'll take much longer to listen to my podcast, but uh, sometimes that's fun too. And you can, of course, follow me on Twitter at Lenny Burnham. You can subscribe to my Patreon if you want to get these episodes a couple weeks early. And uh, you can look up my other podcast, House of House. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening. And EJ, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me and letting me talk like a maniac. (laughs) 